G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Foundations. A good definition of the sovereignty of God in this way. Okay, the quote is this Nothing happens without God willing it to happen, willing it to happen before it happens, and willing it to happen the way it happens. Foundations. Understanding the Jewish foundations of our Christian faith. With Robbo Robinson and Mandy Warby. The most complex and contentious and sometimes frustrating element of the will of God is his sovereign will. If God's will is sovereign, then we have absolutely no say in anything we do. And yet we do things that God holds us accountable for. Is that right and fair? Or is there a balance somewhere in the middle? We're going to attempt to get our brains around God's sovereign will in this program as we wrap up this series on the will of God. It is actually a very complex issue the will of God. We want to know what the will of God is. We want to live and walk in the will of God, but it's not quite so easy. But if you break it down, at least three of the four are (laughs) easy to sort of, well, easier to sort of grapple. There's his decretive will. That's what he decrees. There's his preceptive will in his uh, standards for us. There's his permissive will in what he allows us to do or that won't intervene in against us so that we learn and grow and mature and be accountable. And now we have the sovereign will of God. I want to say ahead of time that I come at this a little bit with fear and trembling because this (laughs) is the kind of subject that can generate hate mail. (laughs) It's a bit of a brain strain Mm. because it seems as though we're in conflict with the permissive will of God. Let's look at what the Bible says about this first of all. This is uh, 1 Timothy 6 verses 15 and 16 and talking about the return of Christ and for us to keep his commandments up to that time. It says he will bring about at, at the proper time He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honour and eternal dominion. Amen. So therefore, it tells us right there very clearly that he is sovereign. The word sovereign in that passage is from the Greek word dynastos, which means mighty, of great authority, a potentate. And then the dictionary definition talks about sovereignty in the way of a person who has supreme power or authority, a characteristic of a sovereign authority, a royal, having supreme rank, power and authority, supreme, preeminent, indisputable, greatest in degree. So you get this idea of this potent uh, individual. Absolute ultimate power over everything Mm. is what you come away thinking. I did read a good definition of the sovereignty of God in this way. Okay, the quote is this, nothing happens without God willing it to happen, willing it to happen before it happens, and willing it to happen the way it happens. Now, I want to repeat that. Nothing happens without God willing it to happen, willing it to happen before it happens, and willing it to happen the way it happens. Now, that's really, really close, and and some would even say there is no difference between this and the decretive will of God. But the thing is, is that how do you reconcile this with his permissive will that allows us to make choices? Is he absolute, absolute, absolute power and authority? Yeah, 
he absolutely is. But we are still accountable and responsible for the things that we do. Now, the reason I wanted to focus on the sovereign will of God is because it's the focus of a great deal of angst and friction among Christians, especially for those who don't believe that God could ever sovereignly ordain for something bad to happen, because we think that would be contrary to his will and nature. God never does evil, but what he does do is always righteous. When you get it in your head, you understand that every decision he makes is right, even if it has a negative or harsh or seemingly cruel outworking, mm. it's still right. Yeah. So there are a few passages of Scripture that we probably read and breeze over because we don't want to focus on them too much, <laughs> but they paint a very strong picture. Well, let's have a look at uh, what some of these passages say. Psalm 135 verse 6 says, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all the deeps. Then in Psalm 115 verse 3, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. And Daniel 4 verse 35 says, All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, What have you done? So therefore he has all authority, all power to make any decision in his natural world and in his human creation. All right, now... Job 37, 2-13, it's a bit too long to read now, but it basically it's a description of God's power in nature and it's talking about unrestrained thunder and lightning, snow, torrential downpours, uh, the animals and their behaviours, wind, storms, the freezing waters, heavy, dense cloud formations, lightnings coming from them, storms being directed all over the world. And then in verse 13 it says this, Whether for correction or for his world, or for loving kindness, he causes it to happen. So this is telling us is that when stuff goes on in the natural world, natural disasters, cycles, whatever is happening, God's causing it to happen. And he's doing it for one of three reasons, either for correction, because it's necessary for the cycles of the natural world to unfold, or because of his loving kindness. That's a bit hard to get your head around. Yeah, and I guess you can understand that where you think, well, how could a cyclone be loving kindness? Or how could a tsunami be God's loving kindness? You don't really easily see that when you when you read it. But there are reasons for it. And we'll unpack that as we go. Well, let's have a look at another verse in Amos chapter 3. It says in verse 6, If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people tremble? Now, trumpets, of course, were sort of like, I guess, an early warning system, weren't they, for, yeah, uh, for the yeah, people were. in those days? It says, If a calamity occurs in a city... Has not the Lord done it? So therefore, it's telling you that if something disastrous happens in a city, hasn't God been responsible for that? Now, we mm. would turn and say, no, 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 he'd never do that. But actually, he does. If you read in Amos chapter 4, the following chapter of Amos, it lists calamity after calamity after calamity that God sent. And the purpose was to drive the people to him so they would repent, so that he could save them again, because they got so caught up in their sin and rebellion. Mm. That is the loving kindness that is referred to in verse 13 of the passage we just read in Job 37. And there is a truckload of verses that all talk about God's sovereignty. And they're listed in the notes. And I would recommend go and look them up and look up even more. They're everywhere, all expressing God's sovereignty. Now, why would he do that? Why would God need to send a calamity? We don't like to think that God would do this, 
but he does and he says so many times. Mm. Sometimes it's for correction, as Job 37, 13 says. Sometimes people need the correction. He warned his people repeatedly, if you disobey me, all these terrible things are going to unfold and, mm. um, and happen to you. And then the hope is, is that people will go, we have sinned against God. Calamity has come. Let's repent and return to the Lord. That then demonstrates his loving kindness. So when a calamity happens, maybe it's for correction, maybe it's not, but maybe it's to turn the hearts of the people. Great example is 9-11. When 9-11 happened, so many of America's population flocked to church seeking God for answers. When life is cushy and wonderful, when everything's hunky-dory, everybody's happy and successful and prosperous, why would they need God? It's not until disaster strikes that people turn to God. Now, many people went to church and then left and never went back again, but there were a lot of people who came to Saving Faith and are now serving God. Mm. Now, does that mean that what happened on 9-11 was sanctioned by God? That was the permissive will of God allowing terrorists and using that God is still unfolding his plan and purpose. I realize this is where it gets really tricky over Mm. the permissive will of God and the sovereign will of God, even though, yes, in God's sovereignty, that was ordained, but his permissive will allowed it, and those people will be accountable for what they did. My brain is stretching even Mm. as I... That's right. It's very, very difficult. But there is a fabulous example of how God uses calamity to actually reach people. The story of Jonah, of course, we see yes, this, don't we? You know, we where do. Jonah disobeyed God, he ran away from God's yep. call, ends up on the boat, heading in the opposite direction. That's his permissive will. And then there's this massive storm that comes, which is God's sovereign will. And then these sailors think that they're going to drown. They're all pagans. That's right. And then they actually had this moment where they realize God is the author of this storm. Yeah. Chapter 1, verse 16, it says, Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So that through this sovereign calamity in nature, God is chasing his man, and through it he's revealing himself in power and might as the sovereign God of all creation. They come to a saving faith. They make vows. Goodness knows how many people may have come to faith in their own homes when they got home and explained what had happened. Yeah, that's right. All telling the same story. And through it, God's sovereign plan is still fulfilled because Jonah does go to Nineveh and they're all saved. Yeah, that's right. Those men on the boat would never have known that had Jonah not rebelled. So did Jonah deliberately make a wrong choice? Yes. Is God sovereign and knew what was going to happen and used that to reach those sailors? Yes, that's his sovereign will. It is difficult to get your head around this concept and reconcile his sovereign will with his permissive will, but the Bible explains them both quite clearly, and therefore, because his word is true and because he's absolutely faithful and right, we have to accept that that's the way it is. And a reminder that there is a list of uh, many, many scriptures that talk about this in the notes, so it's worth going and grabbing the notes and uh, studying that for yourself as well. Next time on Foundations, we are going to be exploring the Jewish methods of biblical interpretation. This has been Foundations, a look at the Jewish foundations of our Christian faith. For study notes, resources and more, see vision.org.au slash foundations. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.